If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a guy who talk, where a guy who works in sports. <laughs> I never, I still can't do this solo. <laughs> this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like. That's just not sports, and I am your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, and with me. On the line in our Brooklyn Bureau, once again, it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how is the corona panic in New York, which I saw firsthand actually last week, so I, I suppose I can uh, I can speak to it as well. Well, dude, it's like doubled since then. It's like, it's. I mean, if, if this is a disease that spreads like a virus, which is to say exponentially, I feel like the response is ratcheting up exponentially every day. And I'm surprised by how that's come. But you cannot find hand sanitizer anywhere to begin with. <laughs> and then right. my wife has a picture from Whole Foods on Sunday where there is literally no cereal left, no pasta left, no canned goods left. And what I'm curious about, like living within this city, I know that there's some people who have all the space in the world, but they're the vast minority here. Like, so when people are saying to start living like a prepper with like canned goods and lots of water and things like that, like 70% of the population of New York city does not have the space to also be a prepper. There's a reason it's not like a popular sub, you know, like subculture <laughs> here. Right. Um, so I'm just hoping that whatever decision gets made, about quarantine down the line bears that in mind <laughs> that most of us live in an apartment. Yeah. And, you know, don't forget that. So I was going to say like, cause out here in Chicago, kind of the same <clears throat> mood down in the city when I'm down there for work, but when I get back to my home and the burbs, which is, and I have an hour and 45 minute commute <laughs> each way. Mm. So I, I'm not exactly like next to the city anymore. It does feel a lot more normal. Um, because yeah, like you said, because you got room to spread out. You're you're moving around your car versus you know I take a train to a bus in the morning, and everybody's just a little bit more on edge uh, mm -hmm. than than usual. I I mean, a friend of mine's trapped in Italy. Uh, that's pretty that real. Sucks. Yeah. Um, we were texting with her over the weekend when they closed down Lombardy, and it was like, yeah, she's over there for work, and um. You know, she was like, they seem to be have a pretty solid plan in place. Things are going well. But then when I heard the other day that it was they were quarantined the whole country, like Amy, my wife was like, have you reached out to her? I was like, I don't know what to say right now. You know, like, <laughs> I, I don't really, ugh, you know, like, I can imagine there's not a real sense of humor around that right now. Right, so. right. Well, that's why we're here, to bring the sense of humor <laughs> exactly. to other topics. And so you and I are going to catch up on distractions after the interview. Right now, I want to punt it to a great conversation I had with Lindsay Darkangelo of The Athletic. You know her work from The Athletic Buffalo, from The Athletic WNBA. Uh, she's a great follow on Twitter. We talked about Legos, her lifetime love of Legos from early sets she had as a kid to how she now experiences Legos doing it with her daughter. We talk about getting a Lego tattoo, which takes us down a rabbit hole around tattoos in general. She's got a lot of great stories about body art and what uh, what she's drawn to in terms of putting things that, that have personal meaning to her 
on her body. It's a really fun conversation. And look, I was a Lego kid growing up. Gareth, were you a Lego kid? I'm trying to remember. Huge, dude. I had a paper route, and so I had money, and so I could like <laughs> buy cool like the biggest thing i ever you were bought like the puff daddy of our of our town because you you and dan pribble because you deliver in the journal news <laughs> absolutely and like the most the biggest thing i ever bought was paper wrap money besides wasting so much money on baseball cards and kevin moss rookie cards that proved to be a poor investment um i bought this giant pirate ship lego that was like 300 dollars and took me days to put oh, together yeah. i loved that thing man so, yeah. The best part about the really intricate sets was that you'd put them together, you'd feel really good, and then like two months later, they'd be back in pieces, and then you're like, I can never put this together again and just throw them in a big bin with everything yeah, else. It ends up in the bin. Yes, it ends <laughs> up in the bin. So. All right, well, enjoy the interview that we did with Lindsay, and then afterwards, Gareth and I will be back to distract you. I don't know what the year was. I think it was like 91, 92, 93. I was big into Legos. I got a, for Christmas, I was at my grandparents up uh, near Cleveland, and I got a set that was um, like the Black Knight's Castle or something around that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I so desperately wanted to open it up, but my mom's like, don't open up all the pieces before we drive home six hours. And I just remember sitting with the box (laughs) in my lap (laughs) as I watched TV for like, you know, three straight days, just desperate to open this thing. And it got me thinking about, do you remember, not just like, rather than start with like, when did you get into Legos? Because it's so difficult to say for kids who grew up with them. But do you remember the first set that you really fell in love with or or took a special pride or sense of ownership of, of finishing uh, from your youth? Yeah, so for me, it was this pirate ship set. And now I'm going back to me. 1980 right um you know and it was we didn't have a lot of sets back then a lot of it was just you know buy lego pieces in bulk and then you know they kind of had the the moon landing um base that you could build off of and they had like like a water base that you could build off of um where it just it looked like part a piece of the moon or it looked like a piece of you know part of the ocean and then you could build off of that um, and just use your, your creativity in that way. So we spent, my brothers and I spent a lot of time doing Legos that way. But I remember asking for this this pirate set um, for Christmas one year and actually got it. And it was it was nothing fancy. It wasn't even a ship. It was just, it, was, it had that water sand base and then like, you know, like a treehouse thing sticking up out of it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And <laughs> um, I was always the type of kid who put, the sets together and then left them like that as long as possible to play with, not constantly taking them apart. You know, I know a lot of kids take them apart and then you have all the pieces, but I was one of those who tried to keep them intact for as as long as possible. I'm glad you said that because I was going to go there. I was the same way. When I got something done, I wanted it just to sort of be there um, almost like a collector would. It just... Um, and I, I always felt like when, if I tried to take something I had built apart, instantly I would lose six crucial pieces and I would mm-hmm. never be able to run it back. So from your perspective, I was going to ask, were you someone that was able to 
keep the sets where you could build them multiple times or did, did you just kind of make them once and keep them around? Like you just said, as long as possible. Yeah. I kept them around as long as possible because once they came apart, like you said, it was just, it was nearly um, impossible to put it back together the right way. So I tried to just keep, keep that um, together. And I, I had, uh, I had like a, a native American set, you know, like a TP thing right. set. Um, and then I, the other one I had that I loved was this, this small little castle this, with these knights on horses and stuff and the, the Lego flags, you know, that yeah. hung, that were, you could place at the top. Um, so those were the three ones I played with primarily, but my older brother got a lot of space related Legos and he, he built his own spaceships and, and all this stuff. He was so creative and oh, I would wow. always. Yeah, I would always kind of sneak into his room and play with his the stuff he built because they were so cool. Um, but yeah, we just we had a lot of just Lego pieces that we would try to you know build things out of um, just ourselves without sets. There weren't as many sets as as there are now, and they weren't as intricate. Yeah, I, it's fun. I felt like the '90s was really like a, the boom there, and I I was someone who loved the. I love the medieval ones. So even when you just mm -hmm. said the horse and the, and the little flags up at the top that like kind of mm -hmm. warms my heart. Cause that was like my jam <laughs> growing up. But I, I, I struggled with the original. I, now I, I know if I just sat down and looked at pictures, you could find a million times where I just sat and just built random stuff, <clears throat> but there was something kind of, maybe it's just cause I'm OCD. I would get very frustrated if I'm building something and I have to like have mismatched colors or it just doesn't have the look of, you know, the shape is fine, but it just doesn't, it doesn't look like it's all one thing. So from your perspective, like, did you, I was going to ask, like, did you still find joy in just sort of building on your own? Or were you someone that really preferred to sit down with instructions and make something that they had sort of formulated for you? It's funny you ask that because now I, I prefer sets, but back then when I was a kid, I, I loved kind of just trying to create stuff. I built cars. I still have a car that I built when I was like eight or nine years old in my room. I oh, have wow. like, I have Lego displays in my room, <laughs> which we can get to later. Yeah. Well, want. what else do you have? What else do you have up there? Um, so I have other things for, from my, my childhood. I have a, a kind of like a, a I don't want to call it a spaceship, but it's, it looks like the, the Luke Skywalker's uh, plane in star Wars. Oh, like he, the X wing. The, Yes, the X-Men. Okay. It looks like that, um, that I built myself. And then throughout the years, I've I've saved the sets that I really, really love. Like I have the Batmobile from like oh. 2007, I want to say, 2008. Um, I have an, the Indiana Jones car um, that uh, little shorty came with it. Oh, a short round? <laughs> so, short round, yeah, yeah, short round, my bad. Um, I have the Ghostbusters car. Oh, that's classic. Um, the original. I have um, uh, Millennium Falcon, obviously, from a couple years ago. I have, um, uh, what's another cool one that I have? Uh, the car from Back to the Future. Oh, um, DeLorean. Nice. DeLorean. How and, big are these? And, are these these like handheld or are they larger? Um. Yeah, I mean, you could hold, they're, they're large if you could hold them in your, gotcha. like the, the De DeLorean you could hold in your palm. Um, and it has Doc Brown and uh, Marty. And yeah. this past Christmas, I just got the the friend set, the coffee house 
um, that they hang out with. Hang used to hang out in. Yeah, Central and Perk. Like, that, like yeah, Central Perk. See, I that's what's Perk. funny is like they know how to cater now to people of our generation where yes. we're like, yeah, I would build the friend set. But when you're a kid, what would you do with that? Just like pretend to no. like serve coffee, be yeah, Gunter, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a seven year old who's in the Lego. So she gets, she'll get a Lego set. Like she gets all the Harry Potter ones. And we just actually put together the great hall from um, the Harry Potter castle. And so I'll help her do it. And then, you know, she keeps it, but she's like me. She'll, she has a spot in our basement as we furnace. She has a spot down there where she puts all her Lego sets on display, like I have in my room. And so so she's kind of following in my footsteps. She'll play for them for a little, little while. And sometimes I'll bring down like the Millennium Falcon so she could play with it. Like I'm not like, oh, don't touch that, you know. Um, <laughs> she, you know, I'll let her play with stuff. But she played with the Central Perk set for a little while. I told her all the characters' names and it was super cute. Um <laughs> But yeah, I just I love I love putting them together and just leaving it and just you know and and looking at like I have a display set on my dresser. So every time I get up in the morning and go get clothes out, I can see everything I've built. Um, I have an '80s boombox which I love. That's great. It's, it, that one's small. That one's like you could fit in your palm. And then um, yeah, it's just lately my dad who has all gotten me Legos ever since I was a kid, and as I've gotten older, he still has done it. He's now getting me those older sets. Like I have the Great Wall of China mm. and um, um, the palace in the Queen's Palace in England. Um, so I I still do it. It just it's like the sets are more, you know, adult, like you said, but I still love it. It still brings out the kid in me. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you. How has the experience? How do you experience Legos now as an adult versus the kid? It has has the what gives you the joy of it changed or evolved at all versus when you were younger? Not really. I I get excited when I see a set that I really like, and you know, sometimes I'll buy it myself, or sometimes I'll just say to my wife, "Can you know this is what I want for Christmas or my birthday or you know whatever drop pins." And so when I get it, I'm all excited, and then I just have to like let it sit for a minute or two. I want to, cause I want to make the time set it, you know, make sure I have the time to actually sit down and do it. And like I said, lately, my daughter will do it with me. She'll help me find the pieces and put it together. But it's the whole process of just starting from nothing and then building it yourself. I don't know what that's about. I don't know why I enjoy that so much, but then seeing the finished product, seeing how all those little pieces can come together. And I think it is, as an adult, I'm more appreciative of the design factor and how they even come up with these sets and how um, like the central perk set looks just like the real thing and how, how much detail and thought and creativity had to go into the design of that. That's what I appreciate more in a, as an adult, but I still get giddy like a kid as I'm putting it together. <laughs> how has, um, Lego's been good for you, and I believe you said it's your daughter, right? Who's seven? Mm -hmm. Yep. What's what? What have? How have you sort of shared the bond with with doing it together? Um. Yeah, I think exactly how I said. When she gets a set, you know, she'll. It's our thing. You know, it's our thing to do together. We'll put it together. Um, I'll help her find pieces when it's her set, and when it's my set, she helps me find pieces, and then just seeing her enjoyment in it and. And knowing that she's feeling the exact same way I felt as a kid and just the, appreci the appreciation for, for Legos as a toy, as a, as this kind of 
you know, it's not just something you sit in front of and, and press buttons with like a video game. Like there's thought to it. There's creativity to it. There's um, there's play involved. Um, there's imagination um, when you're playing. So all of those things, I think, is just great to pass on to her. And I have a huge box of just Legos from old sets from when I was growing up that we keep in her room that she can just open and just build whatever she wants, um, you know, and play with. So that's that's a cool aspect as well. I, I think there's like a new Legos Masters show or something like that that's come out. Have you have you heard anything about this? I have, and I unfortunately haven't watched it only because I don't don't watch cable. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe that's something I might stream. I did see it when it was coming out, and I I, I thought, oh my god, that's so cool. Um, you know, these are people who I mean, for me, it's 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 a hobby, but it's not a hobby that I put 100% of my time into people on that show are like master builders who, who build from build like towers and things and Ferris wheels, whatnot from scratch. You know, I'm not, I'm not to that level where I can <laughs> sit there with a pile of Legos and like make some, some kind of crazy uh, tool out of, but um, you know, I definitely would want to check that out and, and watch that when I can. Yeah. I live in Chicago and there's a Lego store not far from here that, when we, it's like over by the mall. So when you drive by, they every few months they put out some sort of new, huge concoction made out of Legos that you can just go. We drive by, so my daughter can sort of marvel at it. I, but from that perspective, I guess I would say if, if you could make any sort of, if there was a set that you could just sort of personalize, uh, you know, from thin air and say, hey, I want I want this in Legos. Like, what would you what would you ask for? Um, geez, that's such a, like, if I could think of any set that I wanted them to make yeah. or offer, oh my You're goodness. like, hey, I want the carrier dome. <laughs> um, no, but it's funny you say that because there are other manufacturers who try to be like Lego and offer, um, you know, stadiums and things like that, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same product. It's not made the same way. There's a certain patent that Legos have that you can't replicate, you know what I mean? Um, gosh, let's see, what would I want to build? This is, this is something I feel like I need to, to sit with. Your bucket list, your Lego bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it has to be from like, I could, I would be really cool if they did a tombstone set from the movie tombstone, which is one of my favorite movies with Doc Holliday and everything. Um, I would totally be into that because it'd have like the Western theme which you don't see a lot of lately um, or anymore rather. So some, it would have to be something from a movie scene, I think for me. Yeah. I would love like horror movies, like 80, like, like Freddie and Jason or something like, give me, give me that. I, I, maybe that stuff exists, but I'm guessing the Lego company has not gone to the uh, R rated <laughs> toy sets. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be into that. I'm not into horror movies. So <laughs> that, that wouldn't be up my alley. Well, you mentioned off air th- th- that you have a Lego tattoo, and I thought it might be a good entree into talking about body art and, and tattoos. W- what is the Lego? If you don't mind me asking, what is the Lego tattoo? Please tell me it's not like the Chris Pratt character from the movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a, this is a, an honor, you know, honoring to be just getting the, the the case of bricks, Lego bricks, when you were little and trying to put together something. Um, out of your own imagination. So I just have a, a so I have a half sleeve on my uh, left arm. And one of the tattoos is um, just a, maybe four or five. Let me look. Yeah, it's about four 
uh, different colored Lego bricks um, pieced together. Um, not, you know, in a, in a pattern or any way, but kind of like a little pile of them. That's awesome. I, now, what is your, as someone who's a, you know, obviously enthusiastic about body art, what is your thought process for when you decide um, that something has has connected with you in a certain way that you wanna that you wanna get it tattooed permanently? Um, so every tattoo on on my arm is, is something that's meaningful to me. Like it's not just something I saw and was like, oh, that'd be cool, yeah, or like yeah. some random drawing or some Chinese symbol. Like it's something from my life that either describes me or has meaning to me like i have the street sign tattooed on my arm that i grew up on um because i'm still friends with um my best friends that i met on that street to this day um i have you know a, a 80s boom box on there because i love music from the late 80s and early 90s era that's kind of like where where i reside as far as my favorite types of music goes and my daughter's name is on my arm. She in her handwriting when she was three years old. So stuff like that. Um, and I I have the Spider Man logo on my arm as well because I'm a huge Spider Man fan. Oh, so, nice. So things like that. Yeah. I, what was the when? It, what what age were you when you got your first tattoo? Um. So funny story. I got my first tattoo when I was 23, and I was just out of college. I was leaving in Boston, Massachusetts. And I went with a friend who was going to get one. I was like, Oh yeah, I'll get one too. And I got it, you know, on my back, just below my neck, which is like the worst spot you can possibly get a <laughs> tattoo, especially your first one. And all it is is my, is an initial, the initial D for my last name in, in blue, which is my favorite color. And I hated it. I hated every moment of it. It was so painful. I was like, I'm never doing this again. And then about five years ago, um, I'm 41 now, so I was around 35 or 36. It was going to be my birthday, and I started thinking about a tattoo again, and I really wanted to get the Spider-Man logo um, and just thought I would do that, and that would be it. And so, you know, I went, and I got it done. It wasn't as painful, and I'm like, gosh, that's not, it wasn't as bad, you know, and I, I liked it. So then I got another one, and then I just started getting another one, and um, it sort of all spiraled from there. Um, but, yeah, I will never – get any tattoos on my back ever again but staying away from that <laughs> what um i i was gonna say how do you uh with your with your daughter like do you, how do you kind of talk to her about um like when you're deciding what else to put on or, or whatnot does she kind of weigh in and say oh mom you should get this as a tattoo or or something else like that like i wonder as she's getting older like how is this a maybe a, a potentially shared experience with her oh yeah she now she does. Um, and whenever I, she's older now, so she understands it. But um, whenever I get a new tattoo, I haven't in a while, but I'm going to keep going up my arm, I think. Um, she would think it would be, was the coolest thing in the world. And she'd be like, I can't wait till I get a tattoo. And I'm like, it doesn't, you know, it's not like people just write on you. And I try to explain <laughs> her that, you know, A, it's permanent, B, it kind of hurts a little bit, you know, depending on where you get it. And, um, but yeah, we talk about it. And I don't know, when she turns 18, you know, I think like how I was when I was 23, I'd just be like, just wait, wait until it's something you really feel right, viscerally right. that you want, you know, that it's not just this whim, you know, take time and think about it. Because sometimes you get stuff at 18. I know friends who've gotten stuff at 18 where 
they're, they've either had it removed or they've had it tattooed over. Um, so. Oh, I had a tattoo removed when I was uh, 19. So I'm fully aware of the uh, dopey decision you make when your mom leaves <laughs> town and then you go, oh man, oh man, that turned out terribly. And I was like, a ba- I got it on my back too and I, I couldn't even see it. So I was like, what am I doing with this? Uh, and I ultimately <laughs> got it removed. But I, 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 it is funny. I could picture my daughter like pitching me stuff like all that I, I guarantee she'd be waving something in my face like you got to get this you got to get this so I was wondering if you if you if you're like fending off like constant requests from her or whatnot oh no no she's not like that um yeah I just the one where she wrote her name I had asked her specifically like can you just write your name really nice because I want to get it tattooed and that's when it started she was like three so she was kind of aware of it and um she you know she wrote in her little cute little handwriting. Um, and then she'll make jokes now, like, mommy, you should get that for a tattoo. But um, it has nothing, nothing where she's been like, oh, you know, nagging me a little bit for it. Well, I mean, how about Lego Central Perk? Like, just like that'll, <laughs> that'll go all the way down the forearm to the wrist. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, considering I already have my, my Lego tattoo um, on my, um, I think I'm good with that theme, you know, <laughs> No, it's great. And look, this has been a lot of fun. I, I guess I would say um, just kind of to close the loop on on the discussion from a from a Lego perspective. One of the reasons I have we have a six year old and a three year old. And one of the reasons I have mm-hmm. not gotten the six year old more into Legos is simply because I think the three year old is still going to leave those pieces everywhere. It's going to be a mess mm-hmm. and she's going to be putting them in her mouth. All that said, how, like any, do you have any memorable stories from stepping on a Lego piece with a bare feet and just like utterly losing your mind? Because the older I get, the more I feel like I'm I'm much more um, sensitive for those things being left over my carpet and me coming downstairs and, and spilling <laughs> coffee because I I just threw a barefoot down on a on a sharp piece. That happened a lot when I was a kid. You know, walking into like either my my bedroom or my brother's bedroom. But as an adult, and I think it's because it's in the back of our mind. Like it's that's never happened with my daughter like once we're done doing legos even if she's playing with legos in a room i've taught her very well to scour the, the carpet for, for yeah. any <laughs> rogue pieces so that you don't like you know puncture your the bottom of your foot or anything like that so she's pretty well trained you know it's funny i i forget who it was um who whoever the voice who's the what's the actor who was on rest of development that he's the voice of the lego batman will arnett right did you ever see the did you ever see the the clip on on Tonight Show where he walked across um like just a the, like a like a moat of of Lego pieces in bare feet? I almost think that would be more painful than walking on hot coals. Yeah, I, honestly like he he looks about as miserable as a person can look <laughs> when you're going over uh when when you're wa- doing just like four steps. It's utterly insane. Yeah, that's the only downside to playing with Legos, right? Is there's there's that stepping on the Lego factor that you, you have to learn, kind of learn to avoid. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to keep them, you know, quarantined to the table uh, with my <laughs> six-year-old as, as much as I can. But no, this has been great. It's been a lot of fun um, kind of walking down memory lane on this. I got to get back into it and get my daughter back into it. This is this is going to inspire me to take action. Yeah, I highly, I highly recommend it. Legos, <laughs> Legos are, you know, that's the kind of toy that will, I don't think will ever ever fade you know because it's just it's so simplistic and yet so complex and you know everything that goes into just building 
like I said, even just playing with bricks yourself or putting together a set, and there's just so many good factors um, for kids that it just will never fall out of favor. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, tell them to stop being interesting, go back to watching game film, stop being a locker room distraction. That's ridiculous. On this show, we celebrate distractions by telling you what has been distracting us. So, Gareth, let me punt to you first, my friend. Uh, First of all, how's everything going? Want to do a quick... It's up to you. You want to do a quick cancer update, or is it like, Uh, let's just keep it cancer-free today? (laughs) Let me put it this way. The last time I I went into... Or a couple times ago, I went into my oncologist. The cancer... The funniest part about cancer right now is a couple times ago, I went into the oncologist, and they asked how I'd been doing, and I said... I had gotten a gym membership and I started working out again. And then they were like, well, how's your pain been? And it was like, funny. One of those days I went to the gym and did a rowing workout, which was probably not the best thing for somebody who's being treated for intractable back pain with a fentanyl patch. And my oncologist, well, for, like my palliative care doctor who handles the pain, like she laughed at me and she was like, you're so stupid. Why would you do something like that? And it was a perfect interaction and she was like, just be careful with working out. Like, we don't want you doing things that aggravate the pain. And then my oncologist, I don't know that he got the joke. He was like, right, Gareth, I, I think I've been thinking that your exercise should be a little more low impact and we should be doing things more like an elliptical or walking. And I was like, okay, but like, can we have a laugh at the fact that I did like a rowing workout, which was a bad idea um <laughs> like what decade whatever. did you do this workout in the 80s was it 1987 totally. my back? socks were pulled way high <laughs> but uh but since then it's given me this totally neurotic i've become like a neurotic steps guy like now i measure my steps every day i'm really concerned about getting over 10,000 for my yearly average uh i have gotten over 10,000 steps every day since that conversation um my yearly average as of today, my yearly daily average for 2020 is now over 11,000 steps a day, which I'm stoked about because that means I can take a day off or two and it won't totally destroy my average. Um, yeah, I'm up to 15,000 steps today after a couple long walks. So like, that's what cancer is right now. It's like, I'm neurotic step guy. So, Well, we will... Uh... We'll give you That's something else. We'll, yeah, we'll give you some distract. Well, why don't we distract ourselves from the cancer talk then? What, what what's on your mind? Yeah. What what are you what are you leaning into these days? Well, ever since last fall, my daughter really got into country music. She heard some Hank Williams and decided that this was her thing. And it felt like there was a lot of country around because uh, Ken Burns' country music had just come out. But we didn't watch that. Like we got to that later. I actually just finished that like within the last couple of weeks. So we spent a few months not messing around with Ken Burns or anything like that, just listening to a lot of country music. And last week, wanting a distraction from cancer, I went with my wife to Nashville because she had an event there. And so I just got to like see all this country stuff. And Brad, I mean, like you and I grew up in southwestern Ohio in the in the 90s like the peak of like that era's pop country of like 
Garth oh, Brooks yeah. and Alan Jackson and Brooks and Dunn. And I mean, it basically like whether you liked country or not, you knew it. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain sort of osmosis that came from just living in that place and time that you just learned a lot of country music. And my name was Gareth during the Garth Brooks mania. And so like I was recounting for my kids recently. I had a lot of conversations growing up that went, hi, my name's Gareth. Oh, you mean Garth? No, Gareth. But it's like Garth Brooks, right? Well, no, it's a different name. But yeah, close enough. <laughs> I know Garth Brooks. And they're like, you like Garth Brooks, right? Yeah, you could just call me Garth. Just call me Garth. It's fine. It's no big deal. Like, I don't care. <laughs> so country music's been, for whatever reason, a big part of my life for the last six months. And it's, you know, there's a nostalgia aspect to it, too, about growing up in Ohio in the 90s. So I have been listening while walking and getting my steps in to Tyler Mahan Co.'s podcast, Rhinestone, or Cocaine and Rhinestones. And it's excellent. He is David Allen Coe's son. He is doing exhaustively researched two-hour country music histories. I just finished the three-part series on Harper Valley PTA before taping the pod. So this is today. like the Dan Carlin of country music? One of, he is the hardcore history of country music. <laughs> I mean, he's been covered. Every, I think the last one, the last new episode came out in 2018. He's He raised some money to do research for a new season that's supposed to be out this year that is all about George Jones and George Jones songs and the legendary drinking and cocaine use of the possum. Um, and, you know, he's kind of a, he's a divisive internet personality, but most, not for anything too gross, just mostly he'll yell at people and tell them that their b favorite band sucks, which is his other podcast. Hates the Grateful Dead, hates R.E.M. So Brad, he, he takes care of both of us uh, in that way. <laughs> but there is no doubt, given his family history with David Allen Coe as his father, his life spent in and around country music in Nashville, and truly his exhaustive research. Every episode ends with like a 10 to 20 minute liner notes where he just gives sources. And it, it it's excellent. And if you have any passing interest in country music, Cocaine and Rhinestones gets my highest possible recommendation for commuting or if you just want to get your steps in. Yeah, I mean, I don't like country music and <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to check this out, but I do... I do love when you find a podcast that goes into something that's kind of on the periphery of your interest and you're, and you get into it and you're like, yeah, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of loving this new look at this thing that I kind of know existed, but I never really got that into podcasts to me are like dipping a toe into a, a pool <laughs> in a, in a mm -hmm. way, cause it can be a very passive, easy way to absorb stuff that you may or may not have the energy to like read an entire book about. Totally. And what I'll say is this, having listened to this and watched Ken Burns Country Music, if you want a more fun view of things, I would list, I would watch Ken Burns Country Music up through, like, the, when it comes to, like, the early history of country music, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family and some of that old stuff, Ken Burns wins. But once you get into the mid-century and all the tawdry drug use and sleeping around and things like that, that's where cocaine and rhinestones becomes a lot more fun than Ken Burns. Cause even look, I'm not saying that I'm a country music scholar, but there were parts of 
country music that I was watching, and I'm like, I think he just left out a lot of drugs and infidelity in this section, you know? And I'm like, hmm, I think there's a different part of that story that kind of got glossed over. So, and I'm sure that's because of the participants in it. But if I'm catching that sort of stuff, you know, <laughs> that's not good. So. <laughs> One of these days, not today, though. We should go in depth on Ken Burns' Civil War and see if your feelings about the glorification of the South in that have changed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah me too. <laughs> we'll, we'll address that later. That's a good topic. All right. I got two quick ones for you. Okay. The first is um, uh, I'm now training for triathlons again. It, you know, I'm, I'm, I had a good winter of training. I signed up for an actual full Olympic triathlon. Uh, I am not. Bro. <laughs> yeah. So I have to do these longer bikes. Uh, I do these longer like bikes, uh, bike rides. Mm -hmm. And um, at the gym, I'll whip my phone out and like put on YouTube clips and like go down rabbit holes and stuff. I've been oddly compelled while exercising, watching old man versus food clips. <laughs> oh, buddy. So like it's a really good. While exercising? Yeah, because like the food is, it looks good, but it's not appetizing. Like, like just watching Adam Richman pound five pounds oh, so of. You're going with the old stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I, I did watch a little bit of the new stuff because I was curious about the reboot, and it's fine. I don't think. And Casey I think doesn't, the new host is more affable. He, he doesn't look like he wants to be, be there, like, honestly. Like, well, I think the new host loves, like, if I said on this pod. Uh, I think the first, the new host loves the first two segments of that show. Yeah, and he's a great poor man's uh, guy Fieri. But when it gets to the competition, he like never wins. I mean, right. never wins. Well, to be fair, when you watch the old Adam Richmond stuff in season one, they're like, "You've got to eat the double boss burger. It's a pound." Right. And then by the end, they're like, "We literally found this dead cow <laughs> on the side of the road. You got twenty minutes." <laughs> <laughs> like, I had a friend. I had a friend who shall remain nameless who worked on that show, and just said that by the end of it, Adam Richman was miserable, was constantly showing up late because he hated doing it, and they all made a ton of money on overtime. But <laughs> his relationship with food just like melted down. Like you can imagine, if everybody you meet is like, "Yeah, we found this this cow. We've spit roasted it with jalapenos." Yeah, <laughs> we stuffed it with jalapenos and ghost peppers, spit roasted it, and you have 20 minutes for a T-shirt that your relationship with food would like change inexorably. So, but he was good. He he had like a good energy kind of and mood about himself. I I just yeah. Anyway, that I, I that's one thing. I, I don't want to dwell on it too much. There's really not much more you can. Say. I had a bunch of takes about what works and what didn't on that show. But well, I don't, I don't I'm really sorry. Care. No, let him rip because I'm curious. Oh. Well, I like the volume challenges a lot more than the spicy challenges. Agreed. I mean, the spicy challenges to me are like, you can or you can't. Like, it's six mm -hmm. wings. It is what it is. The volume ones are like, bro, how are you going to eat? <laughs> how are you going to eat this five pounds? The one that was like. There's a thing. You run into physics problems with the volume issues. The, the one that you was know? like the Italian dinner. It's like nine different plates of food. Like, And, and he's like. Well, 
I, I broke up my strategy. I combined the meatballs and the chicken parm into the, with the loaf of bread into a sandwich. And I'm like, fuck, man. <laughs> what? And then the, the time limits, though, are the thing that really bugged me. Because I think it should be... There was one that was like... Sometimes they're like, you've got an hour to eat this or you've got whatever. And then they went to one place and they're like, what's the time limit? And the guy's like, we close at 11. <laughs> like, I kind of feel like... If you order that shit and you just want to sit there and eat five pounds of food all day, knock yourself out. It gets harder as it goes because the food gets less and less appetizing because it's not hot or the cheese right. gets cold and right. it starts to be like glue. And so it just becomes hard to even get through it. Just let the people get through it. And mm. then the worst part of the show is the fake crowd cheering. <laughs> so you can tell the producers are like, come on, come on, keep energy up. Adam is fading. And then... You, what you get is you get the people that like clearly a producer's like, hey, you're the most attractive person in this restaurant in Idaho. Can you go up and kiss Adam on the cheek? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, got the yeah. meat sweats and the whole thing just feels very <laughs> creepy. And she's and then she they feed her some line and it's like, like, hey, you better stake your claim on finishing this. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. Is, what? Leave him alone. Put him in an empty room and just live stream it. I'm here for that content. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. It's also it's such a funny reflection of these towns, you know, like that this this is what they're known for, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> um, and I don't know. Like, I agree with you on the volume challenges, but they're just impossible to win. And they, like you said, like as the show increased in popularity, it made it so impossible for itself. To succeed, you know, because like restaurants would just start rolling out the grossest challenge possible. Um, yeah. And it did seem more made for like manufactured for TV versus the challenges were real. Um, or like or like I dig a challenge where it's just like a big burger, a big sandwich. And then it's like and two pounds of fries. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff. Like, right. <laughs> they did one where it was like the guy, he's like, you got to eat this Philly cheesesteak. And then it's like. Well, and here's the two baskets of fries that are on the cheesesteak. And you're like, okay, this isn't I so I think that I think that show should have sort of a rule. Like I guess I guess like a a Ten Commandments of the food challenge needs to be like I think the the sweet spot is like two to three pounds. I almost feel like this is like the Dr. Hibbert rule. Um the Simpsons when they the probably the first time they did an eating contest. It was when Homer and the trucker face off over the steak. Yeah, right. Dr. Hibbert was like, I think there's room in the average diet for the occasional eating contest. Plus, I'm part <laughs> owner of the steak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I, where I was going to go with this was like, I remember the summer that you and I spent like all of our time uptown in Oxford, Ohio. Listening to country music, whether we wanted to or not. <laughs> at that Burger King. Yep. And I trained myself... <laughs> To try and get two double, two double whoppers in one sitting, <laughs> yeah. and I did it. But it took it was it was like, hey, I got a whopper, and then I got like a burger, and then it was like a whopper and a junior whopper, <laughs> and a whopper and a chicken sandwich, and then the end of the summer it was like, yeah, I just ate two double whoppers. <laughs> I, I remember, oh man, teenagers, we were so gross and so bored because I remember my thing was like I would one bite something like I I could eat. A McD- I ate a McDonald's cheeseburger in one bite in <laughs> Steve Shaver's basement. Um, oh, yeah. Or a slice of pizza in one bite. 
So yeah, yeah, those were the days, my friend. And I wonder why I have cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so. It was great to catch up with you. Well, let me end with some shout-outs here. I want to give a shout-out to Lindsay D'Arcangelo. Go read her at The Athletic. Does great work over there. Go buy some Legos. Go build some pirate ships and leave them together oh. versus putting them also, in the bin. If also, you're, if you're not watching it, Lego Masters on Fox. Talk about distraction. That is great family TV watching. Yeah, we too. talked about like, it a little bit. She hadn't seen it yet, um, but I, I got to get into it because my, my daughter's been really getting into like – the, like those fancy Netflix like dessert shows and stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm like, we gotta yeah. watch this Lego stuff. All right, my daughter is into the dessert shows. She loves the she loves the Lego stuff. Also, uh, Food Network just had the Kids Baking Championship, which you can probably still find on demand. That's a good one for you and your kid to watch as well. So, what's the what's the baking show on like the the just desserts? With the yeah, with some guy? Australian guy. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's really great. I, I know BH watches it. That's all. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> all right, man. Well, so. this is fun. Well, we love you, man. Take care of yourself out there. Thank you. And Sorry, uh, to, sorry to step on your uh, your thank yous. <laughs> no, you're fine. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, Gareth, booty rappers. Say booty. <laughs>